Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, February 5th, 2023, we begin our new series titled, Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Today's sermon, Hero of the Gospel, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Enjoy. Luke is the third of the four Gospels. It is the only Gospel penned by a Gentile which should bring up a really important question. How is it that someone who's not Hebrew, who doesn't have sort of that background, that Old Testament law and heritage there, how do they get to be a gospel writer? By faith. By simply trusting in Christ, by being a Christ follower, making yourself available to be used by the Lord. That's how it happened. I mean, by training You know, uh, Luke here was a medical doctor. In fact, he was actually the Apostle Paul's doctor and then his friend and ultimately he became his ministry associate and they they traveled together and they they did ministry. You know, Luke wrote the, the, the book of Acts with Paul right there with him. He is an educated, analytical, and practical kind of a guy. And if you look at the first four verses here, he's going to give his reasons for writing. He starts off in verse one and he says that many have come along and compiled narratives and narrative is simply the story. They've they've, they've put these stories together and about what has been accomplished, things that Jesus accomplished. Verse two, he, he stops and he says, well, one of the things that I did was I came along and I sought out all the eyewitnesses. You get to verse three and he says, you know, part of my reasoning behind doing this was to put it into an orderly account. So you just wouldn't have all these jumbled up stories out there, but it would make sense as you went through it, again, in an orderly account. And then you get to verse four and he tells us why he did it all. So that a guy named Theophilus and you and I can have certainty about the gospel story. To Luke, the gospel story is the story of Jesus and what Jesus has accomplished. Jesus is the hero of the story. Now, just in saying that, I want want to be really clear here. I think we're living in in a time right now where we're dying for heroes. I mean, there's never been so many that are in movie or literature or anything like that. We, we want to, you know, put the tag hero on, but I think people are looking for the real hero. That's the picture that Luke will present. That he is the king of kings, lord of lords, that he is the hero of heaven and the hero of earth. And our hope is that you would come to this study and be involved and that you would discover who Jesus really is. And even if you're here and you come as a believer where you've made that decision to follow Christ sometime in your life, you and I both know that there are times in our lives that we grow less than on fire spiritually. It seems like things sort of settle down and life becomes busy and our families and all the other you know, things that are going on around us and, and, and somehow Jesus is there but he's not quite the fire that he used to be. My prayer through all of this is that you would see that he is the hero not only of the story but he is the hero of your story as well. Now Luke addresses his gospel, verse three tells us to a guy named Theophilus. That that name Theophilus means friend of God. 
Now, I don't know if he was born with that name, if his parents just sort of you know, laid that one on him, but I do know that it's very common in Eastern culture for when people have uh, sort of a, a moment where they come to faith and trust in Christ, that they often change their name to reflect this big decision that's happened in their life. Could have been him. Luke calls him most excellent Theophilus telling us that he had some position of, of power and control. He was some kind of an official. He would be educated, cultured. He certainly wants truth, not rumor or legend. And so Luke is going to chase down and interview witnesses. Witnesses who will tell us whether the story is true or not. And I will tell you how crucial that really is because see, to an unbelieving world then as well as today, the accounts of Jesus' life here that are mentioned in the gospel are not necessarily reliable outside of having witnesses. Witnesses just changes everything. And so follow along with me here as we come to this place, because Luke is going to tell us, led by the Holy Spirit, anticipating their questions, he's going to tell us the true story of Jesus. Read with me, will you? Verse one, he starts off and he says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative, and another way to look at that is simply a story, to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Now there's two things I want you to sort of hold on to as we work our way through um, you know, the, the gospel of Luke, and it will take longer than a few months. I appreciate Tim's trying to be sensitive to that, but it's gonna take a, a little while to do that. The first one is, is that Luke is the true story of Jesus. But I wanna set this up for you. This is not about a theological lesson. Okay, not, not like look at the book of Romans. Romans was very dialed into right and proper theology and, and, and it, was, you know, it was an interesting thing to study because you know, when you study it, literally you have to go find the verbs and the verbs tell you what to do and you're, you're on the right track. But this is different. This is not really about learning all the theological lessons of God and yet you're going to learn a lot about God through this mix. And it's not meant to be an instructional manual on how to live, although you're going to you know, get instruction, you're going to have models, but again, this is different. The gospel here is about seeing Jesus for who he is and what he accomplishes. Luke will tell us here in verse one, he goes, I'm going to you take the accounts, the many accounts that are out there about the things that have been accomplished among us. It's a very odd phrase, accomplished. You know, you would think for a second that if you're gonna go talk about something that happened in the past, something historical, you would say it more like this. Let me tell you about what happened. But he doesn't use the word happened because in Jesus, history didn't just happen. It was accomplished. It was fulfilled. Jesus didn't just live through it. It didn't just happen while he was, you know, happened to be walking around on the earth. He caused it to happen. It was accomplished because he accomplished it. 
And so Luke's uh, intention here with the gospel is to put this all together in such a way that we can know what he accomplished, having heard from the witnesses, put in a proper order so that you and I can be certain about our faith. That's what he's getting at here. You see, the gospel isn't built on a philosophical argument. The gospel is built on what Jesus accomplished. You know, our culture will try to tell us that Jesus isn't who the Bible tells us that he is. He's taken out of context. And so what Luke's going to do is Luke's simply gonna provide eyewitnesses for you about what Jesus claimed about himself and the actions that he accomplished. And the claims that he makes, I will tell you right now, if they were said by anybody else, we would think they're crazy. I mean, Jesus made claims like this, like in the book of Luke, we're gonna see that he's gonna tell us, I am going to judge the world in the last day. In the book of Luke, he will tell you, I am the author and the giver of life. He'll tell us, I alone have the authority to forgive sins, and I am equal with the Father. Those are bold claims. Outside of an institution, no one says stuff like that. But then you look at his life and what he accomplished. There's nothing crazy, nothing weird, nothing arrogant about him. He is amazing miraculous, loving. You see him reaching out to the poor and to the sick and to the needy, to the widows, to the lepers, the hurting. You see him raising the dead. When you read Luke's Gospels, you cannot miss his humility or his kindness. You know, for the last 2,000 years, millions of people have looked at the life of Jesus and what he accomplished, what he claimed to be, and concluded that he is the Lord. That he is Emmanuel, God with us. There's just no other explanation. And I wanna be just right up front and tell you that that is our prayer for you as well. That if you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord, I'm praying that you would find the hero that you've been waiting for your whole life. But if you're a believer And somewhere along the line, that hero that no one could ever knock off the pedestal has just sort of slowly come down because the world and life has sort of weighed on you. I want to put him back up there. He's the hero. That's exactly who he is. You know, when I came to trust in Jesus, I was 14 years old. I didn't go to church. I really wasn't interested in that. I didn't really feel like I needed some kind of fellowship. I had lots of friends. I mean, I didn't feel like that was something. I didn't get the music. I didn't understand what they were talking about. I didn't know the Ten Commandments. I didn't understand how the church worked. I didn't know what baptism was. I didn't know any of those things. And then a friend that kept bugging me and inviting me to go took me to church, and I heard about Jesus. And I I don't know how to explain it to you. My heart began to beat and race super fast and I realized I believe that. I remember that I didn't have a Bible so so somebody comes along and they gives me this Bible. Well, it wasn't even really a Bible. It's a paraphrase, the living Bible. Remember the living Bible? Anybody have around? You know, I mean, I started reading it and I was just amazed. I would get these stories and I would read it and I would tell my friends, can you believe that Jesus did this? I'd never heard that before. You know, I 
I've been to Bible college and seminary. I will tell you that nothing was better than that moment. And I want that back again. I want that for you, that fire of realizing the hero of the story is the hero of my story. That's supposed to be our job. As his servants, Jesus is our message. That is our message. Our message is not politics. Our message is not the economy. Our message is not world affairs. Our message is not the needs of the needy. Our message is, do you know who the hero of the story is? Because he changes everything. The Apostle Paul said it very clearly in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. He says, for we, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. That's our job. That's what we do in the church. And so as we dive into the text of Luke, look at who he is. Look at his life. Look how he deals with the hurting Luke is going to give us the true account, what he actually accomplished. Now, how do you know it's true? That's a really good question. Go back to verse two. Because in verse two here, he mentions eyewitnesses. An eyewitness is someone who was there and a lot of people were there. Jesus' ministry was incredibly public. I mean, literally, there were thousands and thousands of people who heard him speak and saw him do things and people who loved him and people who didn't care for him at all. Luke says those eyewitnesses took what they saw and they delivered them to us. That word delivered there, the Greek word there is paradosis. It's a technical term for taking something and then passing it along to an eyewitness orally because you put it to an exact sense of memorization. Remember, you know, in, in verse one here, Luke tells us that there were already lots of accounts. Many, it says, had undertaken to write this account. I mean, if you stop and you look, you know, we get four gospels in the Bible. This is a, an account that's not hidden. Lots and lots of people saw him. And so Luke will tell us in verses two through four, I have taken the other written accounts, I've checked them out. I've gone to the eyewitnesses. I've investigated them. I've put them into this orderly account so you can know for certain this is the gospel. That's why we're studying this. Now, let me give you three things about certainty here that are important for you to understand as we go through this. The first one is the eyewitnesses. The Gospels here were written very close to the time that Jesus was actually walking around on the earth. Somewhere between 25 and 30 years after, you know, Jesus' crucifixion. Now, you may say, well, that sounds like a really long time. Really? Do you know, 25 years ago, do you know what movie won the movie of the year? Titanic. Just got re-released. You've all seen Titanic. Well, maybe some of the students are going, ah, it's a little old, I don't know. You know what the top TV show was on TV? Seinfeld. I'm not even gonna ask, because I know most of you still watch reruns of Seinfeld. You can all quote George. 25 years ago was not a long time. They still had eyewitnesses. And let me show you why this matters, okay? Just to give you an idea. Remember the stories of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table? 
The story of King Arthur is, is that Arthur was walking around in, in England around fifth or sixth century, okay? and doing all his things with all the other knights that were there. But the first written down accounts of his life were written down for another 400 to 500 years. Okay, which means there are no what? There are no eyewitnesses. No eyewitnesses means no fact check. The eyewitnesses matter. If a story or an account was somehow embellished, or it was simply made up, people would know and they would challenge it. Without eyewitnesses, we actually say something is a legend because we have no way to check whether it happened or not. That is not Luke's gospel. Luke writes here with certainty because there were lots of eyewitnesses around. In fact, let me take you to Luke's ministry partner, Paul. Take your Bible here and, and, and keep your finger here in Luke, but go over to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 here, as, as Paul talks about the gospel, I want you to hear what he says here about eyewitnesses. 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 3. He said, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12, the rest of the disciples. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Now think about that, what he's just saying right there. When he's writing about the, the, the power of the gospel and the resurrection, he makes it very clear. By the way, through all this stuff, there were at least 500, at least 500 people who saw him alive. And most of them, you can go talk to them about it. They're eyewitnesses. Powerful stuff. The eyewitness tell us it's not legend. Now there's a second thing here, and that it has to do with the honesty of the accounts. You see, the honesty in the Gospels doesn't always make sense if you consider maybe a first century reader that doesn't believe. I mean, they might be confused, actually, by reading some of these accounts. We say, well, how would they be confused? Well, if I was trying to get you to come over and, and be on my side and believe what I believe and follow my movement, I'm not gonna tell you the hard things. I'm only gonna tell you the joyful things, the happy things, the good things. That's not what the Gospel does. You gotta remember, see, the gospel is about God sending his son, the father sending his son who comes born into this earth and he goes through everything that an earthling goes through. He's a human, 100% human and 100% God at the same time and it wasn't easy. You get those stories, you get that type of honesty. For example, let me give you an, a, a, that. Look at the, the account of the death of Jesus. The night before his death, every single one of the gospel writers writes down that Jesus leaves the upper room, takes his disciples, and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember what happens there? Luke chapter 22. Listen to the words. Starting with verse 42. And saying, this is Jesus speaking, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. 
Now see, the honesty of the account here is incredible. Again, if you're trying to get people just, you know, trying, just trying to create some kind of a movement, you're not gonna tell that story. You're not gonna tell the story about the Messiah going, Father, is there any other way that I don't have to suffer like this? That's what makes the gospel so incredible. You would never do this if, again, if you're just trying to press the story out there, you would never have the hero of the story from the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As the man inside of him is crying out, carrying all of our sin. Or you look at the birth of Jesus. Do you realize who the witnesses were there at the birth of Jesus? I mean, you obviously had the shepherds, right, were there. And remember the story? You also had the wise men. Now, we don't know how many, you know, it's all, it seems like it's always pictured as three wise men. It could have been five, 10, 20. I mean, I don't know how many it was exactly. It just, we know it was plural, and we know that they show up. Those wise men represented, like, royalty. So if I want to tell you, hey, I want this, I want you to follow this one that I follow, Jesus, and by all the royalty they came to show him how much they loved him, you would go, yeah, that makes complete sense to me. But you wouldn't put the shepherds in there because in that day and time, shepherds were considered the dregs of society. So if you're just making up a story, you don't put the shepherds in there. And yet the gospels do. Because Jesus is for every man. Or the accounts of Jesus' birth. In Luke chapter 2, verse 5, it tells us Mary was betrothed to marry Joseph. You know what that means? Betrothed was a little bit like being engaged, but it was more so. I mean, you remember when Joseph first found out that Mary was pregnant, remember he, he had to go and, and stop and he's thinking about giving her a writ of divorce because he, you know, this is not my baby, you know, and he's thinking and, and so all these people are gonna be ridiculing and everybody was gonna know and find out and it was gonna be a very difficult, you know, kind of a situation. And, but he doesn't because the Holy Spirit comes along and says, look, wait, wait, Mary didn't sin. You didn't sin. You just do what I tell you to do. They were betrothed. He took her to Bethlehem to register. I think he took her to Bethlehem because why would he leave her there and be in an unsafe position because here's an unwed mother. Imagine in the first century, you tell people, hey, I want you to follow this guy Jesus and his mom wasn't married when they, you'd be going, what? No, 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 I, I, can't, I can't do that, no. Again, the scriptures are really clear. Mary and Joseph didn't sin. They followed the leading of the Holy Spirit there. The gospel tells all the story. The only historically possible reason why you, these incidents are recorded there is they actually happened. How about the witnesses to the resurrection? Last Easter, we talked about this. Every single one of the gospel writers will tell you that as the resurrection happened, the first witnesses to the resurrection were women. You know why they were women? Because the men at that point, the disciples were all afraid and they were hiding. And the women went to take care of the body. Except for, here's the problem. The first century, 
a woman's testimony couldn't even be given in a court of law and accepted because it wasn't worth anything. What's worth something to God, every life matters. Doesn't make any difference, male or female. The gospel gives the honest story. Then there's the complexity of the details. Literally, the, the, the literary style here comes and it's incredibly detailed. It's, it's loaded with things that in, in many ways are completely unnecessary and yet what happens is the gospel writers wrote down everything that was said and everything that happened. They had it all there and so sometimes when you read through those things you're going, why is it there? Because they wrote everything down. Want a perfect example of that? John chapter eight, we're told that Jesus is, is just there and all of a sudden they bring to him this woman who was caught in adultery and they're getting ready to stone her. They literally picked up rocks and they're getting ready to stone her. And the passage says that Jesus stops while they're making their accusations and he simply bends down into the dirt like this and he takes his finger and he begins to write. You know the story? Now, let's just be Real clear here, because I've heard people say, oh, he's writing down their sins. There's no place in the Bible that says that. You know what the truth is? I have no idea. No one has any idea what he was writing down. Why was he writing? I have no idea. Well, how did that, you know, help the story and go along? I haven't got a clue. It's never mentioned again. Do you know what happened? When the gospel writers were so taken by what happened, that paradosis, everything that he said, everything he did, they wrote it down. Right after the resurrection, all the disciples took and they went to, to Galilee to get away from Jerusalem at that time and Peter and, and John are out in a boat and they're fishing and they see the risen Savior up on the shore. And they get excited and they, they turn and they pull in the nets and they start moving towards the shore but the nets are so full that it has how many fish in it? 153. Okay. Why was there 153? Whoever wrote it down? Oh, there's 153 fish. Okay. They're just taking notes. Did 153 fish mean something? I'm not into numerology, so I don't think it means anything to me. It happened. C.S. Lewis, I, I put this perfectly, he was a professor of literature at Oxford and Cambridge. He put it perfectly. He said, for people who think that the gospels are just legends, he goes, I have been reading poems, romances, vision literature, legends, and myths all of my life. I know what they are like, and I know none of them are like the gospels. The reader who doesn't see this simply has not learned how to read. You see, when you read the legends of Arthur or, or Hercules, you don't see details like that. Now, you would see that in a short story perhaps today. There are lots of details. Today, it's more natural. 2,000 years ago, it wasn't natural at all. And so the eyewitnesses, the honesty of the account, the complexity of the details tell us that the Gospels are true. Now, here's the second thing that I want you to hold on to. The hero of the gospel is Jesus. See, the gospel is not a collection of teachings or sayings of Jesus. The gospel is the story of Jesus, and Jesus is the hero of the story. 
The reason why Luke isn't focused on the teachings of Jesus primarily is because it's, we're not saved by the teachings of Jesus. We're saved by the claim of Jesus and what Jesus accomplished. You know, if you look around, all other belief systems is completely different. What the founder said became primary. For example, Buddha, in Buddhism, Buddha who you know, came out and said, I'm not the answer. But he encouraged all his disciples to follow the path to enlightenment. Well, listen, in Christianity, it's, nothing's predicated on that because there is no path to enlightenment. It's predicated on what Jesus accomplished. See, I don't need a teacher or a guide. I need a savior. I need to know who to follow. I need to know the one who overcame death in the grave. And so Luke says, I'm gonna tell you the story of Jesus, the true story. We'll talk about his miraculous birth, the miracles he did, his miraculous res resurrection, because we have to have what he accomplished. The purpose of Jesus' miracles is not to instruct us on how to live, but to reveal to us who can save us. Now think about it. I mean, just... I don't want to go too far in this, but the birth of Jesus, amazing account, born in a manger, the animals, the, you know, the, the shepherds, the whole thing. What is that supposed to instruct you to, to do in life? I mean, have your babies in a barn? No. You know what it does? It's not about instruction. Here's what it's about. It's about inspiration. It's about hope. The fact that God reached down into this life for us. should cause us to go, wow, to be amazed. It's Jesus fulfilling prophecy, doing miracles, displaying the power and the character of God, and then willingly going to the cross and dying, getting buried in a borrowed tomb three days later to, to rise alive, and in so doing, defeat death and the grave. He is the hero of the story. Now, you and I, if we trust in him, we have hope of victory in our lives. You know, in Luke, Jesus defeats evil, death, the grave. He rescues all who call upon his name. That's a truth that we need to grasp. We forget so easily. At the very end of the Gospel of Luke, three days after Jesus had died, two of his disciples are walking along and they're discouraged. And out of the blue, a stranger shows up and he asks them, what is the matter? Why are you so unhappy? And they said, this guy, Jesus, this is Bob, paraphrase, forgive me. This guy, Jesus, we thought he was going to be the Messiah. We thought he was gonna be the savior, that he was going to redeem Israel, but he died. Jesus, of course, is the mysterious stranger. He says to them in Luke chapter 24, Oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the saying concerning himself. What he's saying here is, do you want to know why you're down, depressed, discouraged, disenfranchised, feeling purposeless? You don't know who the hero of the story is. This hero of the story pays for our sin on the cross. He overcomes death in the grave. He gives us new life 
He adopts us into his family. C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien were actually the best of friends. I don't know if you knew that or not. Tolkien is actually the person that led C.S. Lewis to Christ. Lewis was an atheist while he was teaching at Oxford University. But it was relationship with Tolkien as they talked about God and the ideas of, and then scripture and all of that put together had a profound effect on him. They would often go for these long walks around campus and they would have these really deep talks. And during that time, Lewis told his friend Ronald, which was one of the R's in Tolkien's name, I love the old stories of the ancient heroes. They really stir me up. What a shame that they're all myths, meaning they're not true. To which Tolkien said, Myths are merely imitations of a concrete spiritual reality. And then he said this. He told Lewis that both true love and sacrificial love are found in Jesus, born in a manger. But a powerful, wicked king tries to kill him. But he's saved at the last minute, snatched away and escaped. And he he grows up and takes on the the greatest oppressive forces of of life in the world. And they, they falsely accuse him. They put him in a sham of a court. They beat him. They put him on the cross for all to see their victory, but he turns the table on them, overcomes death and the grave to save all who trust in him. Jesus is the hero. My prayer is that as we work our way through the gospel of Luke, that you will be reminded about that. And that once again, he will be the hero of your heart all over again. Don't let the world take that away. That's why there's four Gospels. So we'd spend more time looking at Jesus than anything else. My prayer is that you would be open, that your heart would be open to following the Savior, the King. Pray with me. Father, I pray that you would move in our hearts in a very powerful way, that we might see what you, Lord, what you have done for us, what you have accomplished to give us life and hope, to be forgiven, to be adopted into uh, your family, Lord. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. It's all about what Jesus has accomplished. It's all about what he's done. And that's our goal as we work our way through the gospel of Luke is for you to see him and fall in love with him. Now I will tell you that apart from Jesus Christ, there is no way you and I are gonna get into heaven. We won't. This is not about being a good person. Fundamentally, the standard of heaven is perfect and there's only one that's perfect, God himself. And so unless God then makes a way It's futile for us to even try. We'll never make it. And yet that's the great story of Christmas is that God provided a way. He came in the most humble form as a baby so that we wouldn't be intimidated. We have a way. He went to the cross, died on the cross to pay for our sins so that if we trust in him, we could be with him we would be his family we'd be in heaven with him forever that's what he's done that's what he has accomplished so 
So I want to encourage you, as we end this service, there's going to be people that are going to be down here who would love to be able to talk to you, pray with you. But I'm going to give you even more than that. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray out loud. And if you are in a spot where you say, you know what, I do believe. I, I do want Christ to forgive me. I want to be his child. You pray after me silently. I'll pray out loud. You can pray after me. Pray with me. Father, I pray that you would move in a very powerful way. Lord, I ask that you would forgive my sin, that you would forgive that this, this tendency inside of me to want to do what pleases me all the time and I would focus on you. I pray that you would come and live inside of me and take control, which I know means I'm not in control. That I would be your family, your child. Father, you, you told us that, that by faith we could be that in John chapter one. And I pray, Lord, that I would trust you and that you would forgive me and make me your own. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, let me encourage you, you need to tell somebody. This is not about being a secret agent Christian. This is not about hiding it. This is about starting this brand new walk with the hero of heaven and earth. So I'd encourage you, grab one of these people that will be down here. Have them pray with you. We'd love to be able to help you in that process. Father, again, we love you. Thank you for what you've done, Father. Thank you for what your son has accomplished. Lord, thank you because it means everything to us who trust, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Love you all. Have a good day.